You are now listening to The Big Trade with Peter Pham, enlightening conversations for maximum market returns. I'm here with uh, Vladko Vetro. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Hello, hello, Peter. Um, so I'm Vladko Vetro, and I'm a quantum physicist uh, at the University of Oxford, and I also spend um, a great deal of my time in in Singapore. Uh, and the reason for that is that my research is in in um, in quantum physics, and uh, not only in the f- fundamental side and the physics side of that, but actually in in possible applications to uh, quantum technologies. Uh, and this involves technologies like teleportation and quantum cryptography and quantum computers, which basically wow. we are trying to. Yes, there is lots of exciting stuff out there, and I think. Uh, there is a great deal of excitement uh, all over the world about it. Also from industry, there are startup companies uh, basically trying to build quantum computers using different technologies. So I think it's an exciting time to be a quantum physicist. Well, th- thank you very much for coming on. I know you've um, recently re- published a book called um, Decoding Reality. Yes. I'd love to discuss with you some of the main concepts about that. But prior to doing any of that, Let's discuss about a broad definition of information and what exactly is information. Yes, this is a very important point, actually, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're starting with, with, with that question because information is, is, is a word that's used in, in many different contexts and by many different people, and it usually means different things. So it's very important to define it properly. So the, the information I had in mind uh, for my book, and it really permeates throughout every chapter, and it's used in, in, in all of these is the different disciplines, but it's exactly the same concept, is basically something that's uh, due to Shannon, Claude Shannon, who was um, at the Bell Labs, an engineer basically working on on, um, on communications. And his idea was that when you ignore all the irrelevant details, uh, then it really boils down to uh, probabilities. So basically, he said, in order to understand and quantify information, all you need is a probability uh, for an event to happen. So if you want to know how much information an event carries, first, you have to be able to somehow calculate the probability. And then information is something that's inversely proportional to probability. So what that means is that if something is less likely uh, to happen, and if it still happens, then that carries more information than something that's more likely. And so that's really the only concept you need in order to understand uh, information. Uh, and and it's really, I found it fascinating in my book that, uh, that it's used in all of these very, very diverse uh, fields. Like, you know, I start with, with physics, of course, but then I move on to biology and then computing and then even social sciences like economics uh, and sociology use exactly the same concept of uh, entropy. In terms of information, I've heard people discuss about the origin of the universe as basically an influx of information. Yes. What are your thoughts about that concept? And is that an accurate understanding towards like the Big Bang and what's led afterwards? Yes, I think we have a we have a problem there in a way that that it's very hard to understand the origin of the universe. 
and and especially what you pointed out to which is the fact that presumably the universe starts with uh, with a very little information initially so that's what we would call you know low shannon entropy the the the, the quantity we talked about and then uh, as we evolve in the universe obviously more and more information is created so the question is um, how does that happen and what's the process by which this happens and I'm saying this is a problem for, for two reasons. One is, of course, what is the origin of this first information where the, where the universe was created, the Big Bang? And the second problem is that physics seems to be telling us that if the universe is a closed system, if there is nothing outside of our universe, then actually it's impossible to have any new information created. So quantum physics would say whatever information you started with, if it's an isolated closed system, you cannot increase this quantity of information. So I think this can lead us to interesting speculations, you know, that, that the universe that we uh, observe and we call our universe is actually maybe only... Uh, a smaller part of something much larger, which we cannot see simply because the speed of light is, is finite and we can only see a finite region of our universe. But actually that doesn't mean, of course, that outside of our universe there isn't more stuff, mm. which is, you know, which is at present inaccessible to us. So somehow I favor that second picture simply because then I can still uh, say somehow that maybe information overall is, is preserved However, in our visible universe, you can argue somehow that the amount of information is growing. And that's exactly what you said. You know, the beginning was very low information and somehow the dynamics carries us towards more and more information. Let, let's, because our audience is very much focused on financial markets and I like to draw some parallels about, yes. you know, the beginning of yes. stock markets, for example, where there was yes. very little information. Now we yes. live in... in quote unquote, the information age where yes. computers, social media, the internet is playing that much bigger of a role in markets. Yes. And one of the interesting things that, that I'm observing is, you know, the volatility within markets as information yes. is being absorbed. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, because I think that this is a very fascinating parallel. And I indicated to you that we're working on a thesis that is actually discussing about order and chaos within markets yes. and how models have been a linchpin towards developing somewhat of order in markets. But if these models are not following the approaches of the scientific method, then they can easily unfold and cause dramatic crashes. So we've seen yes. a history of markets where uh, Black-Scholes was yes. a method in which people believed that they could understand and conquer markets. And yes. technical analysis, which is a form of, uh, I guess, pattern reading for charts, which is a little bit ambiguous and is not really falsifiable, has been yes. a model that people use previously as well. So yes. I'd love to get your interpretation on this. I think it's a, it's a very good point, in fact. And I explore these analogies between, uh, between physics and uh, economics uh, quite a bit in my, in my book. So I think the, the, uh, the equation you, you mentioned, the Black-Scholes, the Nobel Prize winning equation in economics, is in fact uh, fascinatingly the same equation. It has exactly the same form and the structure that, that we use to describe uh, the, the behavior of quantum uh, objects. So it's exactly the same equation. We call it the Schrodinger equation. And the symbols, of course, are, are interpreted differently. 
so so you know what you would call volatility as you say and and you know standard deviation in the stock price would for us be uh the the spread in the position of the particle for example and things right. like that but you can actually map all of these concepts one to one and once you once as a physicist you're comfortable with solving the schrodinger equation then you can easily kind of switch to to black shoals and 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 try to do these calculations but but your point is 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 of course more important the question is you know is this the right way of describing market trends when i spoke about information the crucial thing really was uh, to understand the probability distribution for various processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and information says, you know, once I give you the probability distribution, then you can accurately invest and you can maximize your profit in the long run and so on. But the key thing is understanding these probabilities and how well can we predict them in the future. This is where the various models come in. And, and as far as we know, and as you pointed out, you know, lots of them have led to stock market cr- crashes and inaccurate predictions and so on. So I think the key idea is, is how to use, uh, how to understand stochastic processes and what is the amount of complexity we need to put into these simulations in order to capture the key uh, aspects of, of that. And I think it's exactly the same question that we are facing when we are trying to simulate a complex physical system. If, you know, if I give you a molecule that's, uh, let's say, a biological macro, you know, very large molecule, and it's embedded in an even larger environment where it couples to all sorts of things in its environment, it scatters, it's very noisy, then the question is, how can we handle this mathematically speaking? And do we actually have a good model? Mm. And, and even, even on top of it, and I think this is going to bring us closer to my, my research area as well, is even if we think we have an accurate description, mathematically speaking, how easy is it to get solutions to these equations? So the complexity of some of these equations is so enormous that we don't have computers that are powerful enough to give us solutions to these equations. And I think this is a big issue for us. One of the interesting things, once again, I notice in science is sometimes there seems to be a lack of a general universal theory to explain, yes. I guess, very big things and very small things. Yes. Yes. Excuse my simpleton understanding of this. No, no, I think it's very good description. Yes, it's very good, um, very accurate. In finance, believe it or not, we also suffer from the same issues in which people uh, try to derive valuations on businesses. It's called like value investing. And then yes. there's another school of thought that needs to address the day-to-day price gyrations within a particular stock. And yes. many people have developed models for both schools of thought. So in terms of valuations, people will develop a methodology called like discount cash flows. And, yes. you know, it's basic inputs of, you know, financial uh, forecasts and projections and to basically sprinkle a little bit more protection, they'll add a sensitivity analysis yes. so that if your inputs are incorrect, then yes, you create yourself more permutations based on the sensitivity analysis. And yes. I feel as if, like, I, I get the uh, structure in which a model like that is created, but it's so much impacted by the, the inputs. And then yes. even if the inputs are accurate, they still hedge themselves with all of the sensitivity analysis yes. that creates yes. more entropy, in my opinion. Yes. What, what I've come yes, to no, conclude no, is, believe it or not, if one can assess the probabilities of price, which is a reflection of what it is you are buying, 
I think that brings you closer to the core, very similar to the approach that you would have in something like decoding reality. I yes. actually wrote, published a book called The Big Trade, Simple Strategies for Maximum Market Returns, which actually studies the quantitative behavior of price to define the probabilities of, say, yes. a stock going up or down. Yes. So I'd love to get your take on this. I know you've worked a lot on betting as well, based on probabilities. Yes. I'd love to yes. hear your thoughts on this. Yes, I think what, what I think is very important is exactly this uh, micro to macro. You know, how do we, we can make some simple models if you are talking about very few agents um, involved uh, at any instant in time. Uh, mm. But of course, you know, that's not a good, that's a very, a very simplistic view of, of a complex system. Uh, and it's true for the, you know, also for the financial market. So I think the question is, how do we, how do we handle when we, when we have more and more agents participating in protocols? And, and I think for us, it's, it's exactly the same problem as what you said. You know, if we write down the laws, then it frequently turns out that we have parameters there which describe various interactions. But even a small uncertainty in, in, in those parameters will actually lead to completely diverging conclusions. Um, and, and so it's very hard to, to, to make an estimate of, of, of the relevant uh, numbers in this case. Uh, mm -hmm. What I would like to do is I would really like to move uh, from this kind of um, long-term, maybe macroscopic view and really try to go into the nitty-gritty of, of all of these micro transactions. And I think there are lots of things that we can take from physics and from thermodynamics, you know, from entropic point of view that you mentioned. And right. we can actually try to apply that to, to the financial calculus as well. Um, and, uh, and I think that would be very exciting, you know. So in, in a sense, I can, I can tell you a little bit more that what, you know, physically speaking frequently, what we're interested in is, we're interested in, given a certain reservoir of energy, how much work can we get out of this uh, reservoir? And the reservoir, of course, is very stochastic and it fluctuates and you have to anticipate and predict these fluctuations in order to maximize your work. And I think in your analogy, uh, you would be talking about some kind of financial reservoir, if you like, uh, right. the stock market on which you would be placing bets as well. And the amount of work would simply be the amount of um, uh, gain, you know, the wealth growth that that you would like to um, get out of the out of the market. And I think mathematically speaking, we can really beautifully draw these analogies very precisely. Wow. Uh, and then the yeah, the, I really I think it's really exciting to try to then apply some of these strategies from thermodynamics, from physics, from entropy. And really try to apply them to, to the financial calculus. You know, this would be, this would really be interesting. I'd love to maybe when we get a chance to discuss more, I'll definitely share for you. Cause I think you have just like the universe, you kind of have to understand how it functions a little bit. So the markets yes. Yes. function a particular way. And I think once you understand all the variables, you then can. Yes try to find an, a solution to understanding some of this. I know that there's a lot of hedge funds out there that hire physicists for some of this yes. stuff, but yes. you know, it's the focus. And I think that one of the things that we've done is we've, there's two key, key things in markets. It's basically the difference between buyers and sellers. And if you yes. can measure that information, I think that's the pent up information okay. that you're referring to. But there's yes. certain characteristics towards buying, such as limit yes. order or market order. Market order means you're buying more aggressively because you're taking at any price. 
Whereas yes. limit order, you're buying at a predefined press, which means yes. you're less overzealous to jump in the market. Yes. And if you can take that data in addition to understanding price behavior and quantify that uh, through probabilities, like the probability of going yes. up, the probability of yes. going down, I kind of yes. highlight this a lot in the book. You can yes. actually come up with some very interesting approaches to um, doing well in the market. So we yes. built a big position in the U.S. dollar. We allow us to read information about like, you know, various different beliefs and views on markets. It's all noise yes. at the end of the day. It's all the entropy. Yes. But yes. it does not affect our pragmatic decision of going long or short a particular short. position. I see. That's so sometimes yeah. when I'm talking on CNN, they're going to want to hear all the reasons why. But yes. that's more ancillary to the actual, you know, pragmatic decision that we made, objective decision we made with probabilities. Yes, it would be great to explore this more because when you when you talk about these things, I can I can see even the language is similar to some of the language we use in 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 physics. Right. Uh, because you 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 know when you're trying to exploit a, a physical system in order to get something useful out of it, you know either work or or information or anything else that's of interest. What you really need to set uh, for yourself is a certain uh, degree of risk that you're willing to take. Because mm -hmm. whenever whenever you're facing uncertainty, there is always a chance that you will fail to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So right. one thing that you need to set is the degree of risk you're willing to take. And mm -hmm. the second thing you might want to set is, is the lower amount of work or information that you're trying to extract. And once you give me this, I can try then to design an optimum protocol that you should follow in order to, to be within these limitations. And it's very interesting because I think both of the things I mentioned have the equivalent in what you talked about as well. Wow. Let's, let's talk about blackjack for a sec. Cause I know you in your book, yes. you discussed yes. about controlled risk. <laughs> yes. Yes. What, that's what right. can you share to us about blackjack? I think it's, it's, you know, it's a simple game. The reason why people try to beat the dealer with this particular game is, the, is because if you, if you train yourself a little bit, you know, to develop, um, uh, a kind of a better memory, you can then follow the cards basically and you can remember, you know, what, the key thing there is to estimate the probabilities for various cards to appear. Right. Um, and I think if you follow certain cards, then then you can update your knowledge. It's exactly like following the market and, and looking at, at, at trends and whether the probabilities go up or down or the prices go up or down. In right. the blackjack, it's, it's very simple, you know. So you've seen certain cards, you can eliminate them from the from the future and, and that updates your, pro 